Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. It's pretty interesting. Three words when you realize the one you're talking about is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. God is hungry. Hopefully we can help him find what he's hungry for. I want, I want the hunger that God has. I want to be able to quench or wet that appetite. And Jesus saw a fig tree afar off having leaves. And Jesus came to that fig tree. Jesus approached it because he wanted to find something on it. If he could find anything on there. And once more, Jesus came to it. Jesus approached it. And when he approached that fig tree, he found nothing but leaves. For the time of figs was not yet. He approached the fig tree, but it'd be like walking to an apple tree in the winter, and you're not going to find apples on that apple tree. And so Jesus approaches that fig tree and finds nothing on it because it's not the time it typically produces figs. And Jesus' response to it is no person, no man will ever eat of this tree hereafter forever. The disciples heard what Jesus said. They went on their merry little way. And when they came back by that tree later in the next day, it says in the morning as they passed by, they saw that same fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter called to remembrance. He remembered what Jesus said, that the fig tree was not going to produce anything ever again. And he said, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. This is a talk for a little bit. I don't think I'll be too long, but I say that every time. And I usually end up going almost an hour. So I'll try to keep to my word and go less than that because I want to be respectful of time. I want to talk to you about the wrong season, but good reason. Wrong season, but good reason. Timing is everything. Just the wrong statement at the wrong time. Things go real bad. You can say the same thing a thousand times to somebody over and over again, but you say it at the wrong time. All of a sudden, big explosion. And that goes for anything, whether it's comedy, whether it's sports, whatever. The timing is critical. And in this scene here in Mark chapter 11, Jesus, as he approaches this fig tree, if he would have came at a different season, he would have had figs more than likely. But in this season, at that time that Jesus approached it, it was not to be expected to see figs on that tree. Arguably, someone could say Jesus, you know, the, the, the request that he made and the expectation that he had was at the wrong time because it wasn't the tree's season. You could say it's not the tree's fault. Could say Jesus came too early or maybe Jesus came too late. And that's what they even told Jesus when he arrived at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus, you came too late. What if you would have came earlier? This all would have been all right. But the difference is that there, Jesus got what he requested, and Jesus got what he expected at the tombside of Lazarus. The lesson here is it's better to be dead and to respond than to be alive and to ignore you might be dead in your situation, but when Jesus 
makes a request to a dead man. When Jesus has an expectation for a dead situation, it's better to be dead currently, but then to react and to respond to the voice of the one calling you than to feel as if you're more than alive, you're better than anyone else, and not respond to the voice or the command of Jesus Christ. Timing is everything. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 24, we read a scene of the Apostle Paul who at many other times you wouldn't see him in this situation because the other moments Paul was arrested or the riots took him over. God miraculously set Paul free from his circumstance. But here Paul seems not to be set free. There's no praying in the prison where the prisoners hear the voice and there is a release of Paul and Silas. Paul is confined to chains. Paul is confined as a prisoner. And he is being interrogated or asked some questions about his testimony. And he's sharing it with Herod. He's sharing it with Felix. And here in Acts 24, Paul speaks. It says, Felix approaches Paul with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish. And he sent for Paul. And he heard Paul concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, judgment to come, I find it interesting as he's talking about the faith in Christ, right smack dab in the middle is this word called temperance or restraint. It would be good for us to have a little dose of temperance in 2019 in our world and in our age. And as he's talking about righteousness and he's talking about restraint and self-control, even though Paul is in shackles and he begins to speak about judgment, Paul, though he's chained and he's prisoner, he begins to talk about the other world and he begins to talk about the afterlife. And at this moment, this judgment to come, Felix begins to tremble. And he says to Paul, go your way at this time. And when I have a convenient season, I'll call for you to come back to me. And he hoped also that money would have been given him of Paul, that he might release him. And therefore, he sent for Paul very often and communed with him. And here we see it sounds and seems like a good thing that Felix and Paul are talking more frequent. It is important to be in contact with the man of God and the people of God and the church of God. But sometimes you can be around the church of God, the people of God or the man of God so often without changing it increases your chance of never changing at all because you become so comfortable and so familiar in the presence of a God who wants to change us. And so we see here in verse 27 that now after two years, there's another ruler, Portius Festus, that stands in the place of Felix's room in his rulership. And Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. You see this play out in the life, this ruler called Felix. He went from a moment where he was trembling and now he's just kind of gambling his salvation. He was just about there. He was two seconds away from a breakthrough, but instead he waits two years and every opportunity he had from the world's greatest preacher and minister, it all falls through. 
And so we see how life unfolds when you just keep waiting for it all to work out at your convenience. Waiting for everything to work out in your season instead of God's timing and God's season. The truth of the matter is it will never be a convenient season to completely remodel your life. It's, it's, it's never convenient to move from one house to another house. It's never convenient for a funeral, no matter the timing at all. And ultimately, we all need to have our own funeral with God. We need to crucify our flesh. It's never going to be a comfortable season or a convenient season for us to die out to our will into our passions. It will never be a convenient season to remodel our soul. And I'll tell you what the spirit of Felix does. In fact, when I look at this, this play out of Felix's life, it seems very similar to the spirit in Watertown. People that tremble under the spirit. But then they have this amazing ability to quench the spirit. The spirit is moving them, but then they become immovable. And then now they're immovable. They still like the spirit. They want the spirit to entertain them. See, Felix was trembling under the conviction of the spirit of the living God as the preached word was going forth. But he refused to be transformed and changed. So he still enjoyed what he felt. He still enjoyed what he heard. So he asked Paul, would you come back again? Come back again. Come back again. He basically had free access to listen to the world's greatest preacher at the drop of a hat. Any time, at any day. And for two years, he does this. But he never is set free. After he trembles under the spirit, then quenches the spirit. And now entertained by the spirit. His result is he leaves that preacher bound. Felix had the same syndrome of typical Christianity has. They want a preacher, but not a pastor. You know, I say this following statement to saints at all camps and conventions, conferences that I'm able to be a part of. I tell them this every time we we've seen some miraculous things occur. And I let them know I am not more powerful than your pastor. You just need to release him. Everywhere my wife and I have been able to go, we see breakthrough after breakthrough. And we see the miraculous. And part of the reason, there's many reasons, but part of the reason is because of the people's expectation and the people's cooperation with the instruction that is given to them. What if, what if Felix as that word went forth from the Apostle Paul, what if Felix, under that trembling, instead of just merely trembling, there would have been a surrender, a yielding to the Spirit. There is no telling how the story could have unfolded. We know that the ultimate destination was for him 
to go to Rome. We, we know that was the will of God, but God is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. It would have been an awesome additional chapter found in the book of Acts where Felix, this mighty ruler of influence, would have yielded to the Spirit of God instead of just having a preacher, having a pastor that he yielded and submitted his spirit to and was used mightily of God. I wonder what would happen if every time people walked through the doors of this church and trembled under the spirit of God. What would have happened if they had not quenched the spirit of God? What would have happened if they didn't just sit there for two years just listening a sermon after sermon being entertained? What would have happened in two years time if there would have been a complete yielding to the word of God. It's only theory. We'll never know because we can never redeem the two years that has been passed by. But we do have this moment right now. And what God can do can exceed our expectation. But we have to have expectation. We have to have a sense of anticipation. Look, if, if, if all your goal is ever to come to church... It's just to kind of punch in, punch out, kind of check off a list that you did your reasonable service or whatever. You're missing what God can do. Because this book that we read from called the Bible is alive. It is transforming. See, the Bible says that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. See, I can't get through to you with philosophy. I can't get through to you with charisma in my personality. But the word of God, if we would believe what it is by faith, the word pierces through every joint, every marrow, every spirit, every heart. And it gets to a place that nobody else can get to. It's why we feel what we feel in this moment right now. It's because the preach word of God has the capacity to get to a place inside of you that no TV show can, that no woman can, that no man can. It's the power of the living word Oh, God, someone say amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Felix missed out. I can only hope and pray that all the seed that was planted in that man sprouted and grew. The truth is we'll never know until we get to the other side. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 30, we read this scene here. Jesus saying, go into the village over against you in the which at your entering, you will find a colt tied where never a man sat. Loose him, release him, bring him to me. This animal, this donkey, this colt had never been ridden. It was the wrong season for a ride, especially if you're a king. If you're going to reveal yourself as a king, one, you're probably not going to choose a donkey. You're going to choose a stallion. You're going to choose some mighty horse. But you don't want it to be a circus act because you want to look like you have control. You want to look like you have dignity. And Jesus was willing to ride upon a lowly animal. 
not just a lowly animal, but an animal that's never been used before. The reaction of that colt, the reaction of that donkey, that reaction of the person could have sounded something like this. Well, I, I can't do this. Who am I? I'm just a colt. I'm just this animal that's never been used before. I've never done anything like this. I'm not ready yet. This is the wrong season. This is the wrong time. But Jesus still commanded that something that's never been used, something that's never been involved, something that's never operated in this capacity, Jesus released him for that purpose. See, delayed obedience is the political, politically correct way to merely say rebellion. The longer we delay our obedience, it may look like reluctance, but it's really rebellion. Now, I know there's such a thing as counting the cost. Jesus said it's wise to do that. But how many times does an individual have to look at the books before they make the decision? There's got to be that moment. There's always going to be the moment, no matter how many times you count the cost, no matter how many times you look at that side versus this side. There's going to be an abandonment of reason, and you're going to take the plunge called the step of faith. And we read on in this story in verse 31. Jesus says, if anybody asks you, because he just told the disciples what to go do, go get that donkey that's never been ridden. And someone may ask you, why are you releasing this donkey? And you answer them, because the Lord has need of him. And they were sent their way, and they found the scene, just like Jesus said. And they began to loose that colt. They began to release it. And the owners said, why are you releasing? Why are you untying? Why are you loosing this colt? And they replied, just like Jesus told them, the Lord hath need of of him. That cult was completely oblivious to the conversation that happened before they ever arrived. But Jesus said, that cult doesn't see me. That cult doesn't know me. It's just a lowly animal. It's never been involved. But I got my eye on that cult. I got my purpose inside that lowly animal. And I know he is bound and I know he has an owner. And that owner ought to have used him for something better. But the owners never involved him. The owners never given to his purpose. But I am going after that cult. Though that cult cannot come after me because it is bound and so I will go to that coal and I will release him and I will let him do something he never dreamed possible a cult a donkey carrying a king could you imagine being this lowly animal and now God is saying, I'm going to let you carry your creator. I'm going to let you hold up the one that spoke existence. I'm going to let you bear him upon your shoulders. What an amazing God we have. I don't know who your owner is today. I don't know if that owner is a drug. I don't know if that owner is an addiction. I don't know if that owner is an oppression. I don't know if that owner is some sort of suicidal thought. I don't know what owner has you tied down that's never let you been used before. But Jesus has seen you before you ever saw him. And Jesus is saying, I'm about to release you. Would you lift your hands and your voice together?
See, the animal can reply, well, it's just, it's the wrong season. I, I'm not, I'm not a horse. I, I don't have a lineage. I don't have heritage. My father was a waste. My, my mother, I never even got to know her. And, and my siblings, they're all in prison. And my grandfather, that was his life. And who am I? I'm not a horse. I'm not a stallion. I got, I got no heritage. I, I've made so many mistakes. I've never been involved in church. I've, I've never been involved with the things of God. We write ourselves off saying, God, it's the wrong season. We can excuse ourselves from the one who's inviting us to be a part of himself. That is the worst decision you can possibly make is when God is saying, look, I love you. I made you and I want to use you for my purpose and glory. I know in our rationale, we're saying there's no way I've never held anything up like this before. I've never carried anything like this before. I've never been a part of royalty. I've never carried deity. I've never had that kind of regal honor. But God is the one who set this up. You might think it's the wrong season, but God has a a good reason and it's a good reason to respond to him the right way today someone saying jesus name we go on reading here and the bible says here in verse 36 as jesus is sitting on that colt and it begins to march down the street of jerusalem the people begin to lay down their clothes across that street and they begin to cry out with a loud voice it says in verse 37 all because a lowly animal stepped out of its wrong season. It's never been used before. It's never been involved before. It merely obeyed the reason to why it was released. Listen, I, I will say this. If you have been released and God has loosed you at a season, don't make the foolish mistake of going back to the old owner and tie yourself back to the same thing. That is ludicrous. When you have the opportunity to have Jesus on you, when you have the opportunity to be walked and involved and used in the kingdom of God, don't settle for going back to your old owner because your old owner never gave you an opportunity to do something great anyways. But Jesus Christ is releasing you so you can do something that is awesome. Someone say amen. And so because he obeyed out of season, a loud voice goes forth and people begin to worship. And the people begin to cry out Hosanna, which means save now. It seems like it's out of season. But because that person obeyed in the wrong season, people say save now. Today, today is salvation. Today is redemption walking through the street. It's the power of not delaying obedience. And we go on verse 39. Some of the Pharisees are pretty ticked off. They're like, hey, Jesus, can you uh, kind of shut this thing down? They're screaming. They're yelling. They're worshiping. All this stuff. And the Bible says in verse 40, Jesus said, I tell you what. If these stones would hold their peace, I'm sorry about the screen. Don't worry about that. He said, I tell you what, if every single one of these people stopped worshiping and stopped praising me with a loud voice, the stones would immediately cry out. Though they thought, these Pharisees thought it was the wrong season, there was still good reason to worship because the creator was in contact with his creation. 
And when he came near, he beheld the city and wept over it. Look, verse 41. Jesus is, is on the pinnacle of the city. He begins to overlook it as he climbs and he looks down the city. And, and Jesus is moved with compassion. And he begins to tremble and shake and weep. And here's God Almighty moved with emotion, incarnation. And he is crying and weeping. And the Bible says in verse 20, 42, he has this conversation with, with this view he sees, though they cannot hear him. He says, if you had known, at least in this, thy day, this is your day. This is the day the Lord hath made. This is the day for you. This is your day. It seems like a bad day, but Jesus says, this is your day. If you had only known that this was your moment, this was your chance, this was your opportunity, and he says, the things which belong unto thy peace. Because Jesus has already promised peace for anyone that would obey. Saying that peace over there that is distant from you, that belongs to you this day. That could be yours this day. If you had only known it was yours today. And then he says, because you've ignored it. The enemies are going to come around about you and they're going to wipe out the city. Verse 44, he says, they will, they will lay this city to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you knew not the time of your visitation. Look at the effect of the children and the future, all because they didn't know their time of visitation. He said, because... You, you think your decision just affects you, but it affects your children. It affects generations after generation. And he said, if you only knew this day, you think it's an inconvenient season. You think it's the wrong season. But Jesus, said, I give you good reason to let you know today is your day of salvation. Today is your day of redemption. And this scene that we read in Luke 19, it happens right after Jesus cursed that fig tree in Mark chapter 11. This is the context, the flow. Jesus turns to the fig tree, expecting to receive something of it, even though it wasn't seasoned for it to produce figs. He still expected to have it produce something because the creator came in contact with his creation. You may not feel like worshiping, feel like praying, feel like coming to the altar, but look, when Jesus walks through and he comes in contact with you, he's looking for a reaction. He's looking for a response. He wants you to produce fruit, fruit, meat of repentance, as John the Baptist would say. He wants you to produce something in the moment if you only would have known. And then they reject, the, the tree rejects him. And then Jesus goes through Jerusalem and they give a momentary response, but not a permanent one. And so Jesus now in context of the fig tree says, you're no different than that fig tree. If you only knew what belongs to you. I, I, I wouldn't have cursed that fig tree even though it was out of season. And I would not have allowed the destruction of Jerusalem 70 AD to happen if you would have just reacted the right way. This all would have been different. 
In 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, and I'm sorry the screen's not working. That's why it's good to bring a physical Bible to church sometimes. F-Y-I, B-T-W-I-K-R, J-K-L-O-L. 1 Corinthians 3, 21 says, Let no man glory in men. Listen very carefully if you don't have a Bible. Listen. Don't glory in men. For all things are yours. Verse 22, he says, whether Paul, Apollos, Cephas, world, life, death, or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God's. Basically, let me put in modern day vernacular. Stop waiting for the right season. Stop waiting for Paul or Apollos. Stop waiting for Stone King or Josh Herring. All things are yours. See, that was the problem with this church in the beginning. When you read the first three chapters, they're all trying to attach themselves to some minister, some sort of personality that's going to bring their breakthrough. And Paul says, no, you weren't baptized in the name of Paul. Is Christ divided? Are you crazy? He says, stop, stop trying to attach yourself to a ministry and attach yourself to Christ. Don't you know you are Christ and Christ is God? You are God's property. All things are are yours. See, I I know I get excited when we talk about revival coming down the road. We got this minister coming, that minister coming, but don't wait for your breakthrough for a minister to come through. All things are yours right now. You can have exact, you don't got to wait for that season. It may feel like the wrong season right now, but the Bible says all things I wish someone lift up their voice for just a moment and get ready for a sense of expectation. Today is the day of salvation. Today is my day. Someone shout hallelujah. All things are yours. You are Christ. And that's good reason. Doesn't matter if it feels like the wrong season. All things are yours. We keep hoping for someday, but it's this day, this day, it's your time. This time is your hour for God to do something, but don't make the mistake that they made back then in Jesus's day where he said, if you only would have knew that was your day, that was your moment. But they were looking for a, 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 a man that was a warrior in a chariot with a stallion and a legion of hosts behind him going down the streets. But it was a donkey that was never ridden before holding up their Messiah and their king. In Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14, on the morrow, they were come from Bethany. Jesus was hungry. He saw the fig tree afar off. He reached for it and found nothing. Verse 14, Jesus cursed that fig tree. Verse 20 and 21, they look and they saw the fig tree was withered away. And it doesn't stop here. The story continues. The context continues. I wish you could see on the screen, but listen very carefully. Verse 22. When they look and they see the fig tree wither, Jesus turns to them and gives them a lesson. He says, have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, whosoever will say to this mountain, don't think about the mountain, don't contemplate the mountain, don't analyze the mountain, speak to the mountain. Say to it, be thou removed, be cast into the sea. And if you would do that and not doubt in your heart, 
but believe that those things that you say will come to pass. You will have whatever you say. Verse 24, he says, what things soever you desire when you pray. Someone say desire. This is a very key word that you got to see connected to prayer. It says, what things soever you desire when you pray. Some people pray, but there's no desire in it. There's no emotion in it. It's not the effectual prayer of a righteous man. It's the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. If your prayer is not working, add a little desire to it. Add a little fire to it. Add a little passion to it. Put a little put a little gut into your prayer. Put a little heart into your prayer. Put something into it. You may not feel like you are an emotional person, and that is true. There are temperaments. There's different personalities. But we're not talking about personality with Jesus Christ. We're talking about talking to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he just wants you to show a little desire, a little fervor in your prayer when you talk to him about some things. And if you would believe you would receive them, you shall have them. But when we come to him and we don't believe, we say, well, it's, it's probably not the right season. Well, God, if it's your will, I don't know. I don't really want to bother you. Well, maybe sort of, kind of, not really in your name. Amen. What? What? No. Have desire. The Bible says to boldly approach the throne of grace to help define in time of your need. You can boldly and confidently come into his presence. That's not arrogance. In fact, God's the one that made that invitation for us to approach him in that manner. See, this context surrounds the timing in what is by nature the wrong season. Because by nature, it's the wrong, it's the wrong time, it's the wrong season. And so naturally, it will not produce but the supernatural does not cooperate with the natural. Hear it again. The supernatural does not cooperate with the natural. Naturally, the fig will not produce in that season. It's the wrong time. It's the wrong season. Therefore, nature says, don't expect anything. But the supernatural doesn't cooperate with nature. The supernatural doesn't cooperate with the natural. I know Everything may point against you. There's no way you're going to break free from this addiction. There's no way you're going to break free from that relationship. There's no way you're going to break free from that mentality. That's what the natural says. The natural says it's the wrong season. You missed the boat and it's never coming back. But I'm telling you, God, supernaturally, a divine intervention intersects your life. And he can snatch you out of your season. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Last two verses and we're done. Same context, same story. It unfolds. And Jesus says, so when you stand praying, he throws them a curveball. God's got a mean curveball. Got a wicked changeup. Well, I don't know if wicked's the right word to use with God. Nasty. There you go. I don't know if nasty's the right word either, but okay. I, I get what you're saying, though. <laughs> oh, these young whippersnappers, the vernacular. Jesus says, when you stand praying, forgive. If you have ought against. Jesus didn't state that they are in the wrong because they did wrong. Jesus said you are in the wrong because you carry ought. 
bitterness. And so he says, when you stand praying these bold prayers that we all get excited about like we just did a few moments ago, he says, never detach forgiveness from it all. There's people that pray big, pray bold, pray passionately, but there's not an ounce of mercy or forgiveness inside their soul. He says that your father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and moves every single mountain? But it gives no forgiveness. The same man attains no forgiveness. Jesus said, if you do not forgive, neither will your father in heaven forgive your trespasses. What's forgiveness for? Forgive, it's forgiving. It's for you to give. And we may say, no, not now. Not now, no. Maybe at a more convenient season. This is the wrong season. This is the wrong time. The wound's too fresh. Or it happened so long ago, it's just too callous. It hurts too much. I can't fix it. Doesn't matter the season. There's still good reason to forgive. Let's stand together. At the end of the day, It's just, it's funny to me that Jesus would wind up some really pumped up, excited portion of scripture and then just say, forgive. And what I have discovered, pastoring 13 years, it's amazing how much unforgiveness people hold inside of them. Unwilling to forgive. And if we're ever unwilling to forgive, We'll never be able to live the way God intended us to live. We have to forgive. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know how this applies to each single person's life here today. But the Holy Ghost does a good work at taking one word and meeting you at your intersection of life and applying it to each person in this room in a unique way. And I believe that word somehow transcends into every single one of us here today that there's something that we need to somehow forgive or to make sure that we don't hold, withhold forgiveness. Because when we are an unforgiving type person, we'll never be able to speak to a mountain with confidence. We'll never be able to see the things we would like to see God do in our lives. If you're here and somebody harmed you, hurt you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, What they did was absolutely wrong, painful. You have justifiable hurt, scars. But not until you forgive. Then and only then, the mountain that is there, can that be moved. Because that's what unforgiveness is. It starts off as some small little pebble, but it just grows and grows and grows over time until it builds into this mountain. That's going to be your obstacle for the rest of your life. And you may feel like, man, it's, it's, this is, I don't, I don't want to really deal with this right now. I don't want to open this wound right now. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. This person ticks me off. This person hurt me. This person left me. This person forsook me. This person molested me. This person raped me. This person abused me. This person used me. Whatever it may be. Jesus says, you ever want to speak to that mountain that's in your way? Do you want that mountain out of your way? You've got to forgive. 
And when you stand praying, desire when you pray. Pray. Put that emotion into it. And I promise you, when you begin to say, God, forgive them. God, I I forgive. God, I, I stop holding that against them. There is a lifting of the hands. There is an opening of the spirit. There is a liberty that begins to unfold and take place. No matter the season you're in right now, there's good reason to forgive. I wonder if we could gather around the front together as, as a family of God, as a group of people. I don't know what kind of altar call this is going to be. I don't know how long it will go, not long it will go, but I believe this is a good opportunity for you just to open up yourself a little bit and be vulnerable in the spirit of God and let some healing take place because unforgiveness will kill you dead. Bitterness will rob you of life. But when we begin to forgive and to begin to let go, no matter how far back, I'm going to ask God this when we pray. That some of us here may be thinking there ain't nothing inside. I'm not bitter. I'm not mad. I'm not angry about anything. But you'd be amazed if you would just sincerely talk to God and say, God, would you open up the window to my heart? Would you take the reins of my heart? Would you try me? Would you search me? Would you know me? And God will surface. And here's one way to know that they're somewhere tucked inside of you is unforgiveness. Because you can coast really good right now. But in a moment of pressure, the power of pressure is it pushes out the toxins that are buried inside of you. When you're really pushed to the limit, when you're really pressed, that toxin will surface. And all of a sudden, that behavior that you had so suppressed, so low, so down, so in control, it rears its ugly head again. And it's not been dealt with. I'm telling you, God wants to heal somebody today. Does anyone believe that? Do you believe that God wants to do something in someone's life today? Would we, would we be that right now? Can we begin to just close our eyes and begin to talk to Jesus? I want you to lift up your voice. I'm going to pray as well, but I want you to lift up your own voice because you know how this sermon applies to you today. You know what's going on in the corridor of your heart. Jesus, I come to you right now, and Lord, I pray I give you full permission, God, Lord, to get a hold of my heart right now. Would you search my heart. God, would you open it? God, it hurts sometimes to reopen a wound. God, to cut through that scar tissue. But Lord, I don't want there to be a cancer in the inside of my heart. I don't want there to be a hurt and offense deep down inside of me. Lord, that would keep me from ever moving the mountain that is set before me. God, you've given me faith to move a mountain. But God, you've given me, Lord, something called forgiveness. Lord, to aid in that faith of moving that mountain. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would begin to move upon this place. Help us, God, to be people not that are just forgiven by you, but Lord, that we forgive those that we have ought against, people that have done us wrong, and people, God, that we've done wrong. I pray there's a forgiveness that sweeps in this house right now.